Go with me to the book of um, Luke. We're shifting gears this morning, and I just kind of want to lay foundation a little bit um, just to share a couple of things with you. Prayerfully, I won't be long uh, in front of you, but just kind of want to talk through what God is doing in our midst and how he's moving. So go with me to the book of Luke chapter 4 and jump down to verse 18. And um, during the message, I'm going to deal with verses 14 all the way through 21. But I just want to um, read through that and kind of share. And we're going to be here for probably most of the summer leading up to our gathering, um, just talking about this particular subject matter that God would have his way. If you're there, say amen. amen. I'm reading from the ESV in verse 18, says it this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim, some of your translations says, preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And jump down to verse 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do me a favor and turn to your neighbor real quick and say, neighbor, you are destined for impact. Come on, tell the other neighbor. Say, other neighbor, you are destined for impact. Amen. And if I don't do nothing but just lay foundation for this series that the Lord really laid on my heart, um, I just want you all to hear what God is saying. I'm like Derek. Isn't it amazing when you come back from conferences, Derek, you're just like a different guy, aren't you? Yeah, you're just, you're just changing. You're different. Um, I had a chance to go to a missions conference a couple of weeks ago with Dayron and Vonda um, and Katani, and it was just very, very impactful um, what God has done. So let me pray, and then we're going to walk through the text. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you. Open our hearts uh, to be all that you would have us to be, God. So I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how... You're moving in our midst. I thank you for how you created us. Now, Lord, as we look at Scripture and we continue this process annually of getting to the season of more than enough, we are on the back end of Jeroboam. That is the story of Gideon, and we see that you have called us. So now we need to know that we need to find each of us 300 and revolutionize the world. We're destined for impact. There are Midianites that need to be defeated, God. So... Let your word go forth as we just share succinctly what you've placed on my heart, that we would be your people. So bless and have your way. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. If we put our big idea on the screen, I just want to read that first, then we're going to go through um, the, my introduction and talk through what I want to talk about this morning. Here's what I want you to get in your spirit um, the entire summer and probably for the rest of your tenure here at Restoration Christian Fellowship, is that is as believers in Christ... You've been anointed by God for the primary purpose, and I'm going to emphasize the word primary, even though there's a both and, the primary purpose of having ministry impact on our community, okay? So that means whatever, however you define your community, I want you to get into this, to, to lock this in your spirit, is that you have been anointed by God. And don't miss that word anointed, because we have um, contextualized or restricted that word anointing only to inside the church stuff, um, so I want us to kind of view that word through some different lens for the purpose of having ministry impact in our community. 
Now, let me begin by saying to you the conclusion of the Jeroboam, or for those of you that heard the series, if you have not, I'm going to invite you to go to our podcast, um, to iTunes, and download and get cut up, is that it, it has really shaped my outlook on popular culture. Um, and what I mean by that is the way that story ends was very depressing and very sad in that it says um, in the closing chapters of chapter, closing verses of chapter 8, when Gideon died and he left the scene, no sooner has Gideon died and left the scene that the people of God turned away from God and did not know God and resorted back to Baal worship. That's a sad commentary for me. If, if you were here on Wednesday night, we spent a lot of time um, talking through um, the ruling that the Supreme Court has made with same-sex marriage, particularly the implications that it has on us on how we minister and how we do ministry going forth um, in the world today. I'm concerned because as I look at tomorrow's church, I don't know what it's going to look like. Come on, y'all. Let's Come on, come on, come on, y'all. I mean, the church is progressing. It's changing. Um, we have a challenge to contextualize the gospel, but at the same time, we're challenged by contextualizing not to compromise. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's, it's important to contextualize, but at the same time, it's also not important not to con um, compromise because when we compromise, compromisation is not contextualization. Does that make sense, guys? That, that's changing the message. We don't want to change the message. We want to keep it, but at the same time, make it relevant. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I am convicted that the world is designed to be the solution to every problem that the world faces. Come on, say amen if you believe that with me. We're designed to be the solution. Um, I think the church has the answer, but the problem with the church today is that we are reactionary as opposed to trend-setting. What I mean by that is we call meetings and prayer meetings and all that stuff at the back end of the event or incident when we should be ministering up front to prevent the incident from even happening. Oh, come on, talk to me. Are you with me? Then, then, then on the back end of the thing, we're all holy and we're all spiritual and acting like we should have voice when we should have been out there, out front, here's my word, have an impact before the stuff happened. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Are you with me? And this is not to offend anybody, but we're so busy having church, we forget what we're called to do. <laughs> come on, y'all. Last I checked in Scripture, I believe it's around Matthew 5 and 13, Scripture refers to the church as the salt and light of the earth. Come on, say amen. Let me, let me, read, let me read the Scripture. Here's what it says in Matthew 5. It, says, it puts it this way. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, or if you're King Jamian, its savor, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under feet. 
It also says you are the light of the world. And then it says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel or basket, but on a stand, and it gives light for all in the house. In the same way, it says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, which is what? In heaven. I mean, these verses to me spell out clearly that as the church, we have an obligation to be out front. We should be dictating the policies and, and the way popular culture is being shaped. But on the other way around, the culture is shaping us. And it's sad to say because the church is not having impact. Come on, are you with me this morning, guys? We are destined to have impact. And we need to change some things. If you notice Jesus during his earthly ministry, everywhere Jesus went, he had impact. Oh, come on, come on. If, if he went to a funeral ceremony, he had impact. Come on, if he went to a barbecue, he had Yeah, y'all not hearing me. If he went to a marriage ceremony, he had, come on, y'all, talk to me now. I mean, if you, you invited him to your house, he'd show up and he'd still have impact in your house. There was no place that Jesus ever went where he never had impact. And I believe as representative of Christ himself, whenever we show up, we ought to have impact. (laughs) Oh, come on, say amen this morning. But I think, I think we're missing that. So that's why I want to say with my big idea, as believers in Christ, we are anointed by God. Come on, say, I'm anointed. And you're anointed or we are anointed for the primary purpose of having impact, uh, ministry impact in our local places. And I use the word community because as a church, it applies to all of us. Now, the passage in front of us, back with me all the way up to Luke chapter 2. And keep your finger in chapter 4 because we're going to land there. I want to walk you through something, and then I'm going to share five reasons the way impacts you look. And probably won't belabor the point, but just to kind of set them out there so we can kind of hear and see what God is saying in our midst. If you back up to chapter 2 of the book of Luke, and let me kind of walk you through this real quick so we can kind of get to where we're going. This is, Luke has a a, a succinct summarization of the birth and the life of Jesus as Jesus progresses into ministry. So when you get to the beginning of the book of Luke, chapter 2, all of a sudden in verse 1, you see this decree being made that people should be taxed and and, and go to their place. Then in chapter 8, you see it talks about um, Jesus being born and angels showing up, praising him and all that good stuff. And then jump down to verse 22. Um, just look at verse 22. You guys are there with me? Say amen if you're there. Oh, I need a couple more amens than that. Y'all here? Okay, good. Then at, at verse 22, you see him um, getting what this little baby just got. He's being dedicated back to the Lord, okay? It is time of purification, and Jewish law normally dictated that that happened eight days after the baby was born. So you see Jesus going to the temple with his mom, Mary, and Joseph to be uh, rededicated. And you hear about this prophet um, in verse 22 all the way down by 33 now. Simeon and Anna encountered him, and they realized that there's something special about him, okay? Now look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. 
When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, important names, and verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, the reason I want to read those verses, and I'm going to keep going for a little while, I don't want you to fool yourself for one mistake into thinking that Jesus was born and then he went into hiding until he announced his public ministry. The reason I want to point that out is because a whole lot of us are waiting for our announcement in ministry before we start doing anything. <laughs> okay, I, want, I just want to walk you through the life of Christ. I want to walk you through the life of Christ because from birth you need to understand that God has ordained you, God has destined you for destiny to have impact, and a lot of us just don't know that yet. So what the author is trying to get us to understand, here it is, we have a, a, a benchmark, if you will, of Jesus at eight days old being rededicated to the Lord, and then the author pens for us, or Luke pens for us in verse 40, that from the time he is eight days old until he turned 12, or, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to guess that age for a little while, it says that he grew full of wisdom, and the favor was God, of God was upon him. That meant, that meant when he was out on the field playing marbles, even though he could have cheated. <laughs> Come on, you do know he had the ability to guide that little thing when he flicked his thumb. Come on, y'all. But he remained faithful because his time was not yet. I wish I had somebody in here. And he stayed faithful to God, but the point that I want you to make is that even at that early age, he was actively involved in ministry. Let me show you this. Go down to verse 41. Look at verse 41. Verse 41 says, Now his parent went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was how old? Twelve years old, they went up according to the custom of the feast. Um, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. I want you all to get this. And his parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a, a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they re returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Look at verse 46. I'm in the ESV. After three days... They found him where? At the temple, sitting among the what? Teachers and listening to them and asking them what? Questions, verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at 12 years old. Now, he went to church with his mama and them just like a good boy. And after the message, he goes up to the preacher. You know you didn't decline that noun quite well. You, you didn't exegete the passage. You missed the nuance that was associated with that verb. Just making stuff up. <laughs> Had you done your homiletical work quite well, you would have exegeted the text quite properly. Come on. But in your conjugation of the Greek verb, you missed what it really meant. No, no. <laughs> but, but, but the point was, the point was, here was Jesus at 12 years old sitting at the temple. And listen to what I'm saying to you engaged in ministry such that he impressed the rabbis. 
They were amazed at him, okay? And so let me keep going. Um, verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Look at what he says. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you this, in great distress, 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? Submissive. And his mother treasured all these things in his heart. Now, here's the key I want you all to see, 52. And Jesus increased in what? Wisdom and stature. Look at the next phrase. In favor with who? God. And who else? Very, very important. Let me tell you what that means. That he wasn't just a bench person. Let me go as far as to say this. At a young age, because of who he was, well, not because of who he was, because they didn't know, the wisdom that he exemplified, I am comfortable in saying to you, he was probably part of the teaching rotation. I'm comfortable to say that. Where are you getting all this stuff, preacher? This is the importance of literary context and pretext before we get to the text. Okay? The text says that the men were impressed with him. Word up, Jesus. That's a word, bruh. <laughs> Dang, man. How you find all that stuff in the text, man? Where, where do you get all this stuff from? Ah, don't worry about it. My daddy just revealed it to me, you know. Um, but, but the point was is that whenever he was engaged in ministry in the local synagogue, as he continued to grow, they were impressed with him. But he had not come out publicly as of yet submissive to his parents, customary for him to attend church and not just attend, but be actively involved, have an impact before it was even time for him to have impact. Come on, are you guys tracking with me? So the text, let me kind of walk you through pretext a little bit. He continues to grow, okay? Um, look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. They're giving us details. You guys are there? Verse 23, when he began his what? Ministry. You guys are there? Luke 3, 20, I'm in chapter 3, verse 23. Say amen if you're there. Amen. When he began his ministry, um, he was about 30 years of age and being the son. And then if you have an ESV, it gives you parentheses saying, as was supposed of Joseph. And then it gives him his entire lineage, okay? Now jump over to chapter 4. We're getting close to our text. Chapter 4. You guys are there? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Okay, so now he's 30 years old. Come on, say 30. 30. Say it again. Say 30. 30. Now that's a whole lot of time ministering without doing it publicly. But, but his local church, his local congregation, his local community, he was involved, and they see him growing up. Now look at verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan um, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, let me back up. I missed something. Um, I want you to see him getting baptized in chapter 3. He got baptized by John the Baptist. Come on, say he was baptized. And what the author is trying to tell you, he was 30 years old when he got baptized. Immediately following his baptism, he's about to go public now, okay? So here's the point I want y'all to get. The 30-year-old Jesus is about to be a lot different than the 0 to 29-year-old, okay? His message now is about to change. Oh, I wish I had somebody. 
His delivery method is about to change because something unique is about to happen to him. And this is going to sound so foreign and so crazy to you all that hadn't happened before. I didn't mean for y'all to get quiet. You're supposed to say, tell us, preacher. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right, okay, let's, let's interact and walk through this, okay? So now, now look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. For the first time, for the first time, and Jesus, full of the Spirit. Y'all see that? Returned from the wilderness and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for how long? 40 days. 40 days. Why? To be tempted of the devil. Now remember with me, let me give you some free information, and then it's going to make sense in, for, for a little while. At his baptism, the heavens opened up, and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, saying what? This is my beloved Son, and what? Whom I am, what? Well, please. Now this is free information. This isn't even part of the message. Understand with me that from the time he was zero to 29 and, 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 and almost 29.99999, he was the son of God, but the spirit had not yet descended on him. So you've got to lock into this. The whole time he's about doing God stuff, but not really folk knowing he's God. So the enemy's trying to identify him and trying to, because remember the word was at his birth, when he first came on the scene, the enemy came and tried to take him out. But he went into almost 30 years of silence, if I may use the term, even though he was not in silence, but there was something that had not yet happened to him as of yet that the enemy couldn't identify him. Then all of a sudden he gets baptized God blows his cover. This is my beloved son. And here's Satan. Where he at? Where he at? Where's he at? And then look at the next verse. You've been looking for him for 30 years. Let me avail him to you. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tempted Been looking for him. So let me show you who he is and let's see how I prepared him for this moment. You guys are tracking with me, right? I can tell you right now, I'm not going to get far, but it's okay, okay? And so, so y'all know this quite well. He says, um, you know, the enemy's trying to say, hey, you've been for fasting for 40 years. I know you're hungry. Make some hot water cornbread and just hook it up and tear yourself. And Jesus says, you know, I just don't need hot water cornbread. If you ain't got no catfish, go away. You know, <laughs> you kind of get the deal, right? So he says, man shall not live by bread alone. I mean, you got to have something with the bread. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. But, but it's the word of God. It's the word of God. Just need to keep you all awake. And then he goes on and he talks about, I can give you all the kingdoms of the word. Worship me. Look at verse 8. Jesus sent worship to him. Um, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You all know this. And then he um, takes him to the high point of the pinnacle. I find this very, very striking because at the onset of Jesus' public ministry, it seems all his movement is being done by the enemy taking him places. Because the text says he and the antecedent noun is Satan took him. But one key element, because he was full of the spirit, could none happen. 
So there's, there, this is free. There's nothing wrong with the enemy taking you places. It's just that when he takes you, you still remain who you are and don't do what he... <laughs> are you with me, guys? Come on, talk to me this morning. Is this making sense? I find that striking, okay? And then Jesus says in verse 12, it is written, um, it is said, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. All that good stuff, okay? Verse 14, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to what? Galilee and report about him went out throughout the surrounding community, verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. This is very, very important information. From the time he was probably 12 or before, he was caught up in the synagogue doing stuff. So he's been ministering for all this time. Then he turned 30, he gets baptized, and he disappears for 40 days. And hey, Jesus, it's your turn to preach where you're at. It's your turn to teach where you're at. What's been going on where you're at? But then he shows up after 40 days of being gone. And listen to what the author says. He returned, he returned, he returned, he returned. And then there's a new phrase. In the power of the Spirit. To what? Galilee. And report about him when throughout all the surrounding country, verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being who? By who? Let me stop here. Put the first point on the screen. I want you all to see this really, really quick so you can kind of track with me. Every believer in Christ is anointed by God for a specific purpose. Go like this. Say, self. self. I'm anointed by God. Anointed by One more time. Say, self. self. I'm anointed by God. Anointed by now, let me give this away. Jump down to verse. Jump down to verse. Let me read verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. You guys are there? Do not miss the phrase. And as was his custom. You guys are tracking with me. If you were here last week, here's what Jesus did not do. He did not relocate the ephod to his home because he was all that. He left it at the proper place of worship, and he did not neglect going to the synagogue customarily every single doggone Sabbath. That was for those who don't think they need to go to church. Watch. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Meaning, this is where I get the fact that he was on rotation. He was on rotation. Because lock into this, they missed him before or shortly after he was baptized. So it was customary for him to go. It was customary for him to teach. It was customary for him to be involved in ministry. This is why it was so easy for the crowd to call him rabbi. Come on, talk to me, y'all. Important data. I'm going somewhere with this. And look at what it says, verse 17, and the scroll to the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and listen to what he says, the Spirit of the Lord is where? Now, he hadn't preached that before. He couldn't preach that before. Here's what's striking. Prior to his 30th birthday, the Spirit of God had not yet landed on him. Even subsequent to his 30th birthday, you need not miss the phrase, upon. Okay? 
Epi is the Greek word, meaning that up until Calvary, Jesus was functioning under the dictates of the law. So, during the dispensation of the law, spirit didn't live in people. Jesus was no exception. Excuse me. So, here he was ministering in church without anointing. Y'all not getting this. Y'all not getting this. Y'all not getting this. Because you think that the only purpose of anointing is to function in church and to do church stuff. Here it is, the majority of his earthly life, doing all this stuff, preaching, teaching, leading in church without anointing. Are you tracking with me? It was not up until his baptism that anointing began. For those of you who have fooled yourself into thinking, I need anointing to do. I don't know, but God's been messing me with this. Here's one we say, you need anointing to worship. Worship is an act of your will. You do it because you want to and because you're supposed to. I don't think you need anointing to worship. You just worship. It's all about submission. I know y'all jacked up right now. But here he is preaching, leading, teaching without anointing. Then all of a sudden he gets anointed. God exposes him to the enemy the anointing allows him to withstand the enemy and, excuse the grammar, he fit in the teach for the first time under anointing. <laughs> so you know the message is about to jack some folk up. It's one thing when you preach in you. It's another thing when God preaches, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now the, reason, the reason I made that subtle point is that it says here that look at the verse 14. He returned um, in the power, that's the word deutimus, in the ability of the Spirit through Galilee. See, the problem with a lot of us is we don't know how to lean on the ability of God or we don't realize that we have the ability of God and we still try to do things in our flesh. So he goes back, he teaches verse 15 as usual, okay? Verse 16 talks about it was his custom, it was a Sabbath day, and then he opens the scroll and he starts to teach. Now, let me tell you all, the reason I went through all of that is because here's what you need to know. At the point of your salvation, you are anointed. Unlike Jesus, you don't have to, and I got to say this carefully so I don't mess it up. You don't have to say, God, come in me so I can do. You already have God in you, so you should be doing Here's Jesus up until Calvary. Person needs to be sick, healed. He encounters the dead. Hey, Lord, should I raise him? And then the Spirit comes on him and he raises. He goes to a wedding feast. They ran out of wine. Don't none of y'all pray this prayer. 
Lord, should I hook him up? Spirit comes on him, and he turns water into wine. On and on and on. So here's how he summarizes. I do nothing unless the Father tells me. Because apart from the Father, all he is is just Jesus' absent anointing. So here's how he says in John 14. I'm going to go so my Father can send the anointer to come to you. Unlike me, he's not going to rest upon you. He's going to be with you because he's going to be in you. So the things you see me do, I got to wait for anointing to come. You don't have to wait. So greater than these, I wish I had somebody in here, (laughs) shall you be able to do because when I go to the Father, the spirit that's up, that's in you. Come on, are you with me? But yet and still, here we are having church without impact. And I don't get it. Because we think we need anointing to go to church. And Jesus demonstrated 30 years of ministering, absent anointing, but he was still effective because I think anointing has more to do with outside than inside. Excuse the grammar. He's fitting to go public. He's about to preach his first anointed message. Are you with me? Because if you check the gospel narratives, up until this time, he hadn't done nothing externally yet. It's all been in the church. You guys are tracking with me? But he's about to go out. So God tests him. It's a Texas term. That's how they say it in Texas. That's what Darren said. Testus is. <laughs> Sorry, Texas folk. So he gets his anointing, and God puts him in the very presence of the enemy, and he's able to stand. Ah, oh, Jesus. So much there. You guys are with me? Then once he withstands the consecration, He comes back, and the folks say, hey, Jesus is back. Put him up to preach. Put him back in rotation. He's been gone for a while. Here's his opening words. Hey, message is about to be a little different because I'm anointed. (laughs) Everybody okay? Let me just say this, and I'll stop. Let me say this because I'll pick this up next week. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then notice this, because... He has anointed me to do what? Proclaim good news to the poor, verse 50. I mean, B, uh, where am I? 18. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants. He sat down. And all the deacons in them. What's this anointing stuff? He ain't never said that before. What's he getting ready to do? And then, before he even, his introduction, verse 21, and he began to say to them, y'all been waiting for this. (laughs) Today. 
present tense, is this scripture fulfilled in her midst? Put the second point on the screen. Put the second point real quick. I, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. The primary purpose for being anointed by God is to have ministry impact. Where? I'm going to give you all the middle of the message next week. Let me give you the end of three weeks from now. When he got through preaching, they grabbed him by his collar, put their arms around his neck, led him outside the city, and was going to throw him. Because in the middle of his message, somebody said, isn't that Joseph's boy? What happened to him? Excuse the grammar. He used to can preach. <laughs> now, he talking about having impact. Y'all not get that. <laughs> and he had nerve to tell us, y'all read this, okay, read it when you get home, that his impact is not going to affect us because we can't handle it because we're too busy having church. <laughs> What's wrong with that boy? Go ahead and kill him because I don't know who he think he is. And if you read the story, it texts, because he, he was anointed, he just exercised some God power, floop, make himself invisible. And just walked out of their midst. And they're like, where he's at? When you are anointed and you're flowing in your anointing, not too many church folk are going to like you. If your anointing is defined by, girl, you sure sang. I would wonder if that's real anointing or not. Man, you sure preach. I would wonder if that's real anointing or not, because anointing will cost you your life. <laughs> anointing will cause you to impact your community such so that the church folk, the very folk, boy, we raised you. Don't you know we made you who you are? Yeah, but you have nothing to do with my anointing. Yeah. And so now my word has switched. And so anointing, can y'all put should equal impact? Just put the big graphic, the first one back up on the screen. First one on the screen. Uh, yeah, that one right there. Isn't that cute? I'm in. So when you say I'm in, that's what it means. You're going to have some impact. <laughs> Unsaved man at the end of the building impacted this whole church by putting. <laughs> Question, and I want you all to come back, please. What has your anointing caused you to impact? Or better stated, who has your anointing caused you to impact? As we go through this series, we're going to start looking at the life of Jesus. I'm going to pick it up next week. We're going to be here for a while because we're going to study Jesus to death. Because um, we want to be like him. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. Is that all right, Rock? We, we want to be, we wanna be, I want to be like him. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be, I want to be like him. Anybody in here want to be like him? Yeah, I want to be, I want to be like him. I want to have impact. I want to have impact. I don't want to have church as usual. I don't want to have church as usual. So, so don't misinterpret what I'm saying. You got to hear, you know how we do it here. You've got to hear the series for context, you know what I mean? Because we said a lot. So come on, stand to your feet as well.